You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Before the market's most recent correction, underfunded pensions were already a concern. Now that prices have fallen along with interest rates, pensions may be in an even worse position. Leo Kolovakis returns to update Ed Harrison and Real Vision viewers on the state of the global pension system with a specific focus on how the short vol trade and private market investments have been affected by the crisis. Welcome to Real Vision here. I'm talking to Leo Kolovakis, who is the founder and editor, publisher of Pension Pulse. You're a pension expert, Leo, and I'm talking to you because, you know, we're in the middle of a crisis that really, I think, is affecting pensions. And I want to get your perspective on, you know, what the effect exactly is on pensions, their solvency, and what the risks are going forward. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Ed. I'm glad to be here and um, glad to talk about pensions, the pandemic, and how it's affecting uh, pension plans all over the world. The first thing I would say is the obvious, that um, pensions are getting clobbered on two ends. One, the assets are getting hit. Uh, you know, uh, stock markets are getting hit. Uh, their public and private market assets are getting hit. When you have uh, shutdowns of global, synchronized shutdowns of global economies, the other thing I would say is they're getting hit on the liability front as um, interest rates uh, decline to record low levels. And that is particularly worrisome because the funded status of these pension plans really are deteriorating fast as interest rates decline so rapidly to, to levels we haven't seen in, 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 in decades. Right. And, you know, you, you and I, we were talking before we got on camera a little bit about um, how to think about pensions, which ones are in trouble, uh, which ones are not. And I think the takeaway that I had is a lot of it has to do with, one, governance before the crisis, and two, your funding status, uh, which are intertwined to a certain degree. Maybe you can talk about that in the context of Canada, where you are, and the United States, where I am. So the way to think about this is the same way you think about any company that came into this crisis with strong balance sheets, uh, um, little leverage, they will be able to weather the storm a lot better. I mean, they're going to get hit, but they're going to be able to weather the storm a lot better than companies that came into this crisis with really bad balance sheets, high leverage, and uh, that were struggling going into this crisis. So the, now let's take that into the context of Canadian and U.S. pension funds. Um, Canadian pensions came into this crisis very well funded. I mean, they're, they were fully funded or overfunded in some cases and had surpluses. And that was the cushion that provided them to, this is the cushion that would provide them, uh, allows them to withstand the, the crisis. However, they are going to get hit. Obviously, they're going to get hit. Everybody's going to get hit. Um, but they will be able to capitalize on the dislocation in markets across public and private markets and probably come out of this ahead 
four or five years down the road. Not probably, they will come out of this ahead four or five years down the road. U.S. pension funds, on the other hand, came into the crisis uh, underfunded, you know, 70% funded status was the average, but many of them were below 50%, which I call chronically underfunded status. So those chronically underfunded state pensions, not only are they going to get hit on the assets and liabilities side of things, they're going to get hit because they're not going to be able to um, uh, to, to, to capitalize on these dislocations of markets because they need the money to pay out pension benefits. And a lot of them, are, I'm, I'm worried, are, going to, are not going to be able to recover from this crisis, especially if the duration of the crisis is a lot longer than what we are currently anticipating. And that's what worries me. There's a lot of uncertainty that's still out there. Um, I believe the duration of the crisis is very much underestimated, and that's going to affect all asset management firms, including pensions. The most interesting thing in everything that you just said for me was the whole concept of being underfunded and not being able to take advantage of uh, opportunities as they arise as we come out of this recession. I know that South Korea is a country that has come out of the first wave of the pandemic first. And I noticed on your site, you were talking about CPPIB, that's the Canadian Pension uh, Plan Investment Board, and a counterpart in the Netherlands getting into South Korea uh, in a logistics company. Um, tell me, is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Are those the kinds of opportunities that you were discussing? Correct. So think about it this way. I mean, that uh, deal, by the way, um, was the, um, the, it was like an encore joint venture. So they have already uh, had a venture with this um, logistics uh, a company in, in Asia called ESR. Uh, so APG and uh, CPPIB basically um, added more money to buy more logistics facilities in South Korea, and that's a long-term investment thing for them, which is the Asian consumer, the rise in e-commerce. That makes absolute sense. Um, I, the, 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 the strong balance sheets of Canadian companies, I can't overstate this, is it allows them to take advantage of opportunities as they arise uh, and take advantage of dislocations in the markets, whether it's public markets or private markets. The other thing that Canadian uh, pension funds have, because they went into this crisis with very strong balance sheets, is they are able to leverage up their balance sheets. So they are even able to borrow more to take advantage of any dislocations of markets to see. And the reason why they do this is the cost of borrowing is cheap relative to the long-term returns they can make across public and private markets. Unfortunately, many U.S. pension funds are not able to do this. They're not able to leverage for a lot of reasons, but pr primary reason is their balance sheets are terrible. So let me ask you then, what in terms of, let's say that there's more downside risk coming, and therefore even the Canadian pension companies can... Uh, have some of them can have some underfunding. What are the mechanisms through which pension companies can deal with that underfunding going forward in terms of uh, topping up their their balance sheet? I know there are things like inflation, uh, uh, you know, getting rid of uh, the indexation. But you know, what other? Maybe you can give me the whole panoply of uh, of things that they can do. Canadian pension plans, which manage assets and liabilities, take an Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, uh, Healthcare of Ontario. Uh, pension plan hoop, which you already uh, had an interview with Jim Cohen, which I thought was a great interview. Um, they are able to do several things, but one of the primary things they're able to do is uh, 
well, first two things, they lower the discount rate even more, right? And their discount rates are already extremely low relative to what US pension funds are discounting their future liabilities. Second, they are able to implement conditional inflation protection where for a period of time, uh, uh, pensioners will receive less uh, inflation protection until the plan is fully funded again, and then they can restore that inflation protection, even restore it retroactively, which is what they've done in the past whenever they run into problems. That is a huge mechanism, a huge lever that allows them to, to address any underfunded status they will um, encounter in the future because of this crisis. A lot of U.S. pension funds, in fact, almost all of them, I know, except maybe for Wisconsin, uh, cannot do this, right? And that's an issue. And, and so what, what do you do if you can't do that? How do you deal with the underfunding uh, to bring it back up to a level that's, that's, that's adequate? Well, in, in the U.S., the problem is what they're going to have to start doing is taxing more at the worst possible time. Already you have an economy that's getting decimated with 26 million plus people being unemployed all over the U.S., and now you're going to start taxing businesses and corporations to top up uh, underfunded public pensions. Can you imagine um, how this is going to play out uh, on Main Street? And, this, at, and, and then at the same time, you're bailing out big banks, uh, big hedge funds, big private equity funds. And so this is why I think what's going to come in the end when uh, we reach a point, I'll call it a boiling point, we're not there yet, but when we do reach that point, I think there's going to be a mass public pensions. Uh, unfortunately, they won't be addressing the structural issues, i.e. The, the, the lack of governance and other issues that are affecting these pensions. And this is, um, this is going to create what I call zombie pensions. And the reason why they're going to bail out these pensions, to be quite honest with you, is they're bailing out Wall Street and the big private equity funds and hedge funds which use these uh, public branches as perpetual funding mechanisms. So now what about uh, where the Fed is acting in terms of municipal bonds? How does that play into it? The Fed is basically nationalizing all asset classes. Um, the Fed's balance sheet is, is going to the, the moon, as far as I can tell so far. And um, the problem with what the Fed is doing, yes, it's helping pensions stabilize some of their assets, uh, and it's helping states, but it's not going to be um, enough to to help the underfunded status of these pensions, and you know buying municipal bonds. Unless the Fed starts buying uh, pension obligation bonds um, massively, uh, which I don't see that happening, right? Uh, so there's going to be there's going to be a, a day of reckoning. We're not there yet. We're not close to being there yet. But when it happens, it it, it will be. Um, very concerning for a lot of pensioners and members of these public pensions. And, you know, when you say uh, it'll be concerning, the first thing that comes to mind, I think we were talking about this just before, is uh, is uh, Mitch McConnell, right? So uh, they were talking about the second bailout in the U.S., and uh, they talked about uh, municipalities and states, and he was like, no, you know, we're not even going to go there yet. And in fact, I think that they should go bankrupt first before we do anything. And the first thing that came to my mind when he said that is uh, pensions, meaning that, you know, th these pensioners are going to get uh, 
into problems because they that, that's the first thing that they'll cut when they have the opportunity in bankruptcy. Well, how does that feed into what you're thinking and also about the bailouts? Well, you know, Mitch McConnell has said some silly things. Uh, I think Paul Krugman uh, completely destroyed him in, the, in his recent article saying that this is ridiculous at a time when uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans gave away these big corporate tax breaks. And through no fault of their own, many states are, are facing fiscal challenges. You're going to start uh, cutting and you know, it's not a red state or blue state problem. It's an all state problem here. Many, many chronically underfunded pensions are going to suffer. Uh, and Mitch McConnell should, you know, should be careful what he says in terms of the bailouts. Uh, um, given what's been going on right now in the U.S., I think what's going to happen is you're going to see um, many public sector unions come out and say, no, we have a right to our public sector pensions. And even in Kentucky, which is Mitch McConnell's state, there was a huge pushback from teachers and other public sector workers uh, when they started cutting defined benefit plans prior to the COVID-19 pandemic hitting them. And, you know, I, I just don't see how that's uh, a responsible statement from a politician to say. And I, again, I come back to this, um, you know, if you have a catastrophic event where you see a lot of pensions going under, uh, they will be forced to bail them out, regardless of what Mitch McConnell says. There will be a massive bailout of these pensions. I guarantee you this. You know, you're, you're speaking definitely to the politics of it all, because let me run the, the how I'm thinking about it from a political perspective by you. When you are, you, let's use the Fed as an example. The Fed is buying up all sorts of investment grade and even junk bonds uh, for fallen angels. And the whole concept is, look, we, you know, we don't know if these individual companies were irresponsible before the crisis or not. We're just going to indiscriminately buy to provide liquidity to the market as a whole because we want to take liquidity onto the national balance sheet uh, because that's what we do as the Fed. But then if you at the same time apply the same logic, you can't really say, we know for a fact you, Chicago, you, Illinois, you were irresponsible, uh, and you, North Dakota, you were responsible. Therefore, we're not going to apply the same logic to you. We're just going to let you uh, indiscriminately go bankrupt, uh, quite the opposite. Is, is that the politics that's, that are going to play out in terms of how people are going to see it, bailing out corporations but letting other people on the hook? Right. So what you describe on the economic front is what I call the Japanification of the U.S. economy, which is um, the Fed basically nationalizing uh, the, the stock and bond market and uh, allowing a lot of these fallen angel companies to survive when many of them should uh, quite frankly, should be bankrupt, right? Uh, when when you're thinking about it, though, on the state side of things, it's a bit different. You know, um, uh, the, the U.S. Uh, federal government uh, can can is can issue its own currency and has the ability to issue a lot of debt, and basically that debt can be monetized by the Fed and the Treasury after. And yes, if again, if we get to the point where uh, many, many state pensions are uh, on the brink of uh, insolvency. They, they, they won't look at, oh, Illinois, you mismanaged your pensions for years. Uh, therefore, we're not going to give you a bailout. It's going to be a blanket bailout for everyone, uh, unfortunately. And, um, and uh, 
again, the problem with that is you're not addressing structural issues. You're just allowing these pensions to go on uh, mismanaging money. Um, and I should be careful when I say this, not mismanaging money in the sense that, you know, the people that are working at these public pension funds are very, very competent, but there are structural issues that need to be addressed, meaning the state governments uh, have way too much interference in there. They're not run like businesses. They're not run with the best intentions and aligning the entrance of members of that plan over the long run with the way uh, the, the, the pensions are being managed right now. And this is why they've run into so much trouble. On top of the fact that states have not topped them up, discount rates remain way too high. There's no conditional inflation protection. Some of the benefits were outrageous for these states, like including Illinois. And uh, there's a whole host of structural issues that were never dealt with. But the, you know, the biggest issue that I keep going back to is uh, governance, because if you don't get the governance right, everything else is irrelevant. Let's go to uh, thinking about some of the things that are popping up right now in terms of pensions, because uh, you write about the things on the fly as they're occurring. One thing I thought that was interesting was AIMCO. You know, that's the Alberta Investment Management Corporation. You talked about how they were selling volatility. And obviously, when volatility rose, that uh, cost them a lot of money. Is that, number one, a viable um investment strategy for a pension fund going forward? And two, um, were they being responsible in terms of uh, taking those risks? Because obviously, they were getting uh, returns during that uh, during the, the great financial crisis, the, the period after that. Canadian pension funds are a lot more sophisticated than U.S. pension funds in the sense that they hire very, very qualified people internally to manage assets in order not to farm them out to hedge funds to do the same strategies. This particular volatility uh, selling strategy, selling volatility was not just done by AIMCO, but by many Canadian pension uh, funds. Um, and unfortunately, what happened in March was a spike in volatility was so unprecedented and the duration of that spike was so unprecedented that uh, the, the, the particular strategies got into trouble uh, and if you understand some, the way they, they engaged in this uh, selling volatility was using uh, variance swaps. And if you understand the mechanisms, when in these uh, negatively convex strategies you get uh, a very abrupt spike in volatility that's really unprecedented, the, lo- the losses mount so quickly that you don't have any way to get out because nobody's going to take the other side of that trade, Right. And um, what surprised me was, uh, quite frankly, um, why they weren't able to pull the plug a lot earlier. But again, I understand that given the unprecedented situation and given that the losses mount so quickly, maybe that that, that was one of the reasons uh, they weren't able to do this. Um, but I have to say, for a lot of years, you know, pensions were collecting, Canadian pensions were collecting 6 to 10% plus on these type of strategies annually and, you know, uh, doing it, you know, very, very well and, and managing the risks uh, appropriately. Um, unfortunately, with any vol- uh, selling volatility type of strategy, if you're not uh, really careful on understanding uh, the risks of the strategy, um, it can really blow up. And I don't know exactly what happened here because I know the people at AIMCO are very, very competent, but obviously something went wrong uh, in terms of the risk management of that strategy, whether it was the positions they were taking, 
relative to the size of the pension plan. When you when you have a three billion dollar blow up on a hundred billion dollar pension, well, that's that's significant, right? Oh, so yeah. um, so that was something that I mean, this is something they will have to review internally, and I know that they're being um, you know there are a lot of questions being uh, asked by their clients and by their board, and they will. Uh, you know, come out with a transparent statement in the annual report to explain exactly what happened. Now, uh, people are asking me whether or not Canadian pensions or any pension should be doing these type of strategies. In, I mean, my answer is if you have the competence to do it properly internally, why not? Uh, Ontario teachers and who have been doing these strategies for a long time and they've been doing very well because they have derivatives experts who are able to manage the risks of these strategies. It's all about managing the risk. And if you can do it internally, as opposed to farming it out to a hedge fund that's going to charge you a ton of fees on it, uh, why not? You know? That leads to the next question about uh, private uh, markets, because uh, Canadian pensions in particular are very uh, forward looking in terms of taking that onto uh, their balance sheet. That is, taking it in house in terms of investing in private markets where other pension companies in the U.S., as an example, are using uh, private equity companies. But we, you and I, we were talking earlier before we got on this call about uh, Neiman Marcus and CPPIB buying them uh, in 2013 and how that is now likely to go to bankruptcy. Uh, the first question I, w- I have is, what does that say about private markets and Canadian pensions getting involved in that in, in terms of, A, returns, and returns going forward, and also be in terms of uh, the diversification of that strategy versus stocks and bonds. So Neiman Marcus uh, was a core investment as CPPI did. Uh, we did with Aris uh, Management, a big private equity shop. For uh, and um, unfortunately, Neiman is uh, encountering problems, not being able to pay uh, its interest payment on its uh, 4.8 billion dollar loan, and. Uh, the ramifications of this aren't just with CPPIB. In fact, I was reading this morning, um, uh, Omers, uh, which uh, its real estate subsidiary, Oxford Property Group, owns Hudson Yards in New York. One of their biggest anchor tenants was going to be Neiman Marcus. And they right. had big, big concessions on that. So there's going to be a, a few, um, you know, a lot of uh, Canadian pensions are going to get hurt if Neiman Marcus goes bankrupt. We'll see. I am not privy to what's going on in the background. I'm sure CPIB and Harris are trying to figure out a solution, and CPIB has the liquidity to help Neiman in the short run, if that's the case. However, what I what I can tell you is um, many private markets are getting hit. Um, airports, uh, toll roads, uh, infrastructure um, assets, which the Canadian pension funds have invested quite a bit in, uh, malls, hotels, office spaces. Um, you know, private equity, that especially private equity that got into energy, um, thinking there was going to be a major recovery, and we see what's going on with oil prices and energy markets, you know. So the, the, there's going to be a world of hurt. Private debt, by the way, which is a major asset class for Canadian pension funds, which is, you know, lending money basically to uh, medium-sized businesses, which many of them are going to go bankrupt. So you, there's going to be a world of hurt. However, we're not going to see that right away. There, there's a bit of a lag. I'd say three months to six months uh, before those um, assets are marked to market. Canadian pensions, though, 
invest directly. U.S. pensions are also going to get hurt in their private equity investments, and they're paying fees to funds. And many of these funds are going to have terrible uh, returns and uh, are also going to get hit on, on in private markets. So it's a matter of you know thinking about it over the long term. For example, uh, airports are shut down all over the world. Not all airports, but many of them are. And but if you think about it, you know, at one point people are going to start traveling again, and airports are going to open up again. So, yes, over the one or two year period, you're going to have a major decline in revenues in these airports. But over the long run, they'll make them up and make a lot more money than investing in uh, bonds, for example. So, uh, you know, public markets. I, I I I come back to this. The reason why. I in public markets, there's a lot of volatility in public markets, and they are looking to get the best risk-adjusted returns over the long run and diversifying across public and private markets. And in private markets, they're able to do a lot of direct deals in infrastructure, completely direct in private equity through co-investments with their partners. And I think over the long run, they're going to capitalize on many dislocations that are going on in the markets right now, and they're going to come out ahead. However, over the next year, there's no question in my mind, especially if the duration of this crisis continues longer than what most people anticipate, there's no question there's going to be a world of hurt uh, in, you know, at Canadian pensions and, quite honestly, global pensions. Basically, what you're telling me is, is that, yes, it makes uh, there is diversification to going public and private markets. My next question for you has to do with liquidity then in terms of the ability to help in these situations. Because I think that the Neiman Marcus situation is a leading example of where things could go. Uh, I don't see Le Neiman Marcus as a brand that is, is, uh, is destroyed. In fact, I've heard the Wall Street Journal was talking about Hudson Bay's Saks Fifth Avenue wanting to take over that brand. And they've been wanting to take that brand over for a number of years now. And so that's a potential outcome from this is, is that they merge in some capacity. But at the same time, it could be that uh, Aris and CPPIB have the liquidity with, uh, to be able to help Neiman Marcus through this, uh, this difficult time. Do you think that Canadian, uh, in, you know, having taken these, uh, these private uh, investments in-house, that they're in a position to be able to provide liquidity that public markets wouldn't be able to provide or that PE companies uh, that are just PE companies wouldn't be able to provide? A hundred percent. I mean, I know for a fact they are uh, looking at all the liquidity needs of all their portfolio companies, including, it's not just Neiman, there's a lot of uh, portfolio companies at these Canadian pensions that uh, are, and they need some kind of liquidity to be able to uh, withstand the storm and then they will come out ahead. And what the Canadian uh, pension funds are doing right now is they're valuing the liquidity needs of all these portfolio companies, whether they're small or big, and they're trying to see, okay, how can we help you uh, get through this so that this investment, which we believe is a great investment over the long run, uh, we will able to uh, withstand what the storm uh, the, withstand this storm and then come out ahead over the long run. That's the focus right now is over the long run. If there's short-term liquidity needs, the good thing is Canadian pensions have a ton of liquidity to provide um, through various mechanisms, and they can do this and and help these companies um, get through this. 
So, you know, I want to wrap it up by uh, pulling some threads together. And uh, I'm thinking about it in terms of something that you were telling me the last time that we spoke about defined uh, benefit versus defined contribution pension plans. And the sense that I get is, is we're now going through a reckoning, if you will, in terms of stability of various uh, pension systems and governance. And uh, one of the things is that, you know, obviously defined contribution uh, tells you is 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 that uh, there's more stability over the longer term. Uh, coming out of this, do you think that uh, it shows the model of defined uh, contribution or defined benefit as being better, or has your th- thinking changed on that level? So my thinking has not changed on that level. My thinking remains that over the long run, uh, people are much better served by well-governed defined benefit plans that um, uh, diversify their assets across the world, across public and private markets, pretty much what the Canadian model is, but I would like to see that model, um, uh, more and more individuals being able to access that model, whether it's in Canada or across the world. The key here is to have well-governed pensions are able to manage money properly in the best interests of their members and then invest that money appropriately across public and private markets throughout the world. And I think that model is is, is the model that will uh, ensure we have less pension poverty uh, in, in, in developed nations. Uh, what I worry about right now is uh, with interest rates at record low levels, the reality is uh, defined contribution plans, which are mostly be, you know, invested in public markets, are not going to generate the the required returns that people need to have good retirement savings and at a comfortable level. The other problem with defined contribution plans is, um, you know, they don't pool investment risk. They don't uh, they don't pool longevity risk, so you can outlive your savings very easily. Um, and there's just a whole host of problems with defined contribution plans. They are great to help people save money. You know, 401ks are uh, great savings vehicles, but they've become the de facto pension uh, plans for too many Americans. And the reality is too many Americans are going to fall through the cracks because they're not going to have enough money to retire uh, through through these uh, savings. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it on that pessimistic note, but I think that that's the appropriate way to end it. Leo, really appreciate you uh, talking to us and, uh, you know, stay safe and uh, hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you very much. Hey there, since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film. We work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight. So if you want to find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.